Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Today we're going to talk, of course, USC football. That's what we do every day, every week, every waking minute here at the Peristyle Podcast. And you guys sent in a lot of questions, a lot of concerns after USC's 17-3 loss up on the farm at Stanford. We're going to talk about that with Dan Weber, beat writer and columnist for us here at uscfootball.com. We're going to have a special guest he was the sideline reporter for Fox Sports a little bit later on in the show. Bruce Feldman, friend of the program, he's joining the show. We were trying to get him on uh, over the weekend at our live show. If you haven't seen that, make sure you go check it out. Um, it's uh, Tunnel Vision, and we do that every Thursday and every Sunday night. But we'll have Bruce on a little bit later on. He got some interesting insights from being on the sideline calling that game. If you have any questions or comments, podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address, or you can call us at 424 424- 254-9141. You can call or text that number. We got voicemails. We got text. We got emails up the wazoo. And luckily we have Keely here producing the show, helping us out with that. What's up, Keely? Hello, hello. Follow her on Twitter at Keely is my name. And then the man of the hour, Dan Weber. I, I mean, lots of Dan, I don't know. I would this is probably the most questions we've ever received. And I say that a lot, but it's it I mean, it's really pa- that page, pages of them. Pages and pages. That's true. Dan Weber's on the line. What's up, Dan? How you doing? Hey, uh, well, that's the problem because I think we went into the Stanford game thinking we got a lot of questions, but maybe we're going to get some answers. Unfortunately, the Stanford game generated more questions. So on top of the questions we already had, now we've got more questions and not nearly enough answers, but we'll try. Yeah, we'll try. Uh, we're going to do our best, and I'm, I apologize. We're going to send – Leftover questions to Dan. He writes columns every week with them and does a great job with that. Uh, but we're going to do our best to get to as many as we can. Before we jump into it, of course, USC is going to go on the road and take on Texas. You're talking about two blue blood programs. Football is back when you got USC and Texas. Do you need tickets? Because the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every game all season long is SeatGeek. If you're looking for a last minute deal, which you would be for this weekend, or if you're just going to plan a night out or find the perfect gift, SeatGeek will help you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, especially you're talking about Austin. SeatGeek will help you get closer to the action for a great value. So every purchase is fully guaranteed. You can go shop on the app, SeatGeek.com, with confidence. And it doesn't end with sports. You can get tickets for concerts, comedy, theater, stuff like that. So I got the SeatGeek app up right now on my phone. It's really easy to find tickets for USC Texas or any of the USC games or any other vet you'd like to. Just go to SeatGeek, buy your tickets for Texas. If you want to talk about the Washington State game coming up on Friday night, any of those, you can go to the SeatGeek app and find them. And best of all, my listeners are going to get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. If you just download the app and enter promo code USC, that's promo code USC, you'll get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life at an event, life's an event, we have the tickets. All right, Dan. I don't know. I'm 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 a little encouraged. I thought people might be uh, bummed about the Stanford game, but 
I got a lot of RSVPs. We're going to do a little meet and greet uh, happy hour Friday at the Key Bar in Austin, Texas. It'll start at 3.30 p.m. local time. Just put it up last night. We got a lot of people that are RSVPing already, Dan. So maybe the fans are jumping off cliffs and, uh, and, and, and doom and glooming it all over the place, though we thought they might. Yeah, well, you know what? Uh, if you're going to the Texas game, maybe they're going to look forward more to being at the Key Bar than at the uh, Daryl K. <laughs> Royal Field the next day. I don't know. I mean, make you know, make it worth your while. Uh, you know, t- Austin's a great place to to go. Uh, you know, meet and greet, and uh, you know, hit the hit the high spots. And uh, sounds like a great way to to get the weekend started and see what happens on Saturday. But uh, yeah, that's great. I, I had a feeling there'd be a lot of people want to do that. That's, that's a great idea. We're looking forward to it. Yeah, I'll be there. Dan will be there. Keely will be there. Shotgun's not getting in until Saturday, I believe. Saturday so. morning. Yeah. So we, but the three of us will be there. We're going to have Taylor Estes from um, uh, Horns 24 seven. She'll be there as well. I think Chip Brown is going to come too. We're going to have a show with Chip Brown uh, tomorrow previewing Stanford, I'm flying out tomorrow and somehow doing like two podcasts before we go out. I mean, there's a lot of crap going on here. Not crap, but there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot going on. So much content. There's so there's so much going on. It's, it's absolutely insane. Um, and we'll do our live show from, Keely and I will be in Austin. So we'll do a live show, Tunnel Vision there. We're going to do one on Sunday where Keely will be back home and remoting me in and Shotgun and I will still be in Austin. So we're, we're, there's a lot packed into this game. Hopefully it goes a little bit better than what it went at Stanford. And there's a lot of people, Dan, that are not really happy with the way the Stanford game left uh, went. I think I'm going to start you off with a voicemail, and we'll go from there. Hey, Ryan, how you doing? Coach Harvey Hyde, Dan Weber. Uh, my name is Dave from Ventura. Um, just wanted to kind of elaborate. I know you guys have been bombarded with questions about the Stanford loss, but um kind of want to just vent some of the frustrations I feel, and I'm sure a lot of USC fans feel, is, what drives me crazy is watching these games is I feel like there's no sense of urgency. There's no shots on the sidelines from the cameras of showing players getting fired up or firing each other up or stressed out or any sense of just willingness to want every game that bad and that deeply. And I think what guys fail to realize is that this is not the NFL where you can lose half your games and still make it to the Super Bowl. Every game counts. Every game's critical. Every game means something especially when it's conference games with a team like Stanford. So I'm just kind of curious your guys' thoughts, the coaches' thoughts on kind of if you guys are kind of seeing the same things. And I understand they're, they're kids and they're younger and um, it's supposed to be fun and all that, but this is USC. This is a story program, lots of tradition behind it. And with these type of athletes that we're getting in, five-star, four-star athletes, um, I just feel like the sense of urgency and the, the pride sometimes is just lost and uh, the willingness to, to want to win that bad. Kind of goes out the window at times. But anyway, just curious, you guys' thoughts. Thanks so much for the awesome podcast and fight on. Yeah, Dave, I think that's a really good point. It, it, it does have more of an NFL feel about it. More of uh, when you go to a pra- you know go to practice, it's kind of got a little bit of that kind of NFL uh, you know feel. You look at the sidelines. Uh, you're right about the urgency. It didn't seem to be there. It, it seemed to be, you know, you don't quite see that old college spirit. Uh, at USC uh, right now. I mean, it just seems like uh, it, it, they're, they're not that excited about what they're doing or they're not showing it all that much. And, and, and I think some of that's, a you know, a lack of confidence and, you know, a feeling of, you know, when you're afraid, for example, as the coaches said, 
when you get these 10 and 13 play drives and all you're thinking about is who's going to screw it up? How are we going to screw it up? What's going to happen? You know, that, that, that a, a 13 play drive is not a good thing because you're bound to screw it up. There's some of that, you know, the idea that you've got fourth and two before halftime in, you know, at the Stanford 40 and you have no idea what play to call, uh, that makes it a little hard to be all fired up, uh, I, I think. But yeah, you're right. It, it, you have more of a sense that uh, that you're watching a, like a junior NFL team, um, where they're gonna have to go through the motions. They, you know, they play 20 games, counting the the uh, exhibitions, and they can get into the playoffs uh, if they win, you know, one more than than half. And uh, that's not the way college football is. In a lot of ways, it's one and out. And uh, you don't see that urgency about, you know, it is one and out. And uh, I don't know where that's coming from, but that's a good observation. Dan, could you guess that that might come from just the messaging of the coaches? I know Helton in his postgame presser said that USC fought like warriors and that it's a learning lesson. Do you think that the lack of urgency stems from that type of mindset? Well, no, no question. I mean, it's like, you know, we love you. You're doing great. You guys that just you can't, you know, can't do any better than, than, uh, than you're doing. I'm proud of you. You know, everything is, and, and yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's just a sense of, Hey, you know, we got through it and nobody, you know, got hurt badly. And, uh, we tried hard and, uh, we just, you know, weren't as good as they were. And we were on the road. We got a young quarterback, da, 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 you know, yeah. The messaging is, uh, I mean, you're doing great. I mean, I guarantee you, if you talk to the offensive line, they will tell you they did pretty well. And you're, there's nothing you can say that will convince them they didn't do pretty well. There's nothing. They'll say, well, we had those long drives. We, you know, all three backs had pretty decent games. Uh, we only gave up five sacks or whatever it was, you know, um, four or five. Uh, you know, it's just messaging is part of it for sure. Yep. We have a question from Don who says, does USC have more quote unquote talent than Stanford? Does Stanford have better quote unquote football players than USC or is the coaching gap so big that it doesn't matter? Yeah. I think if you go back and look at the, uh, the last five the recruiting classes that, um, uh, and compare them, uh, the, the basic classes that, that make up these rosters that USC is like three, three, you know, two, four, and what was, I think an eight maybe. And Stanford is like, you know, 20, 23, 40 that, are, you know, it, it's, it's not even comparable in terms of the talent uh, that, that the two schools bring in. And, and, you know, Stanford, that's tough for them. They got to, you know, they do have, you know, academic requirements that are different. And, and they're, and you look at their roster and they got kids from literally everywhere in the, in the country and they have to work really hard, uh, just to get them there. And then they, you know, have to put them into something that they, they believe they can do. Last year, they didn't get it right. And last year, USC's talent margin was pretty obvious. Uh, and this year, you know, Stanford worked like crazy and they only do what they can do, but they do it really well. They believe in it. And uh, if you would compare the, let's say, the recruiting rankings of USC's offensive linemen and Stanford, there's no comparison. Uh, Stanford's not getting those, you know, top kids anymore from all over the country. And yet, 
whose offensive line, you know, outperformed the other without any question, uh, you know, with Sanford. So there's an awful lot, you know, to do with, with the way they're coached and the way they believe in what they, what they're doing and the way they know what they have to do and only do that. They don't try to do things they, um, they can't do. I mean, they're not running Costello, the quarterback on a, any kind of an option situation. Cause that's, that's not, that's not who he is. It's not what he does, but they protect the heck out of him. And, um, he needs it. You know, he's a kid that can't be speeded up. If you speed him up, he, the results aren't nearly as good. And USC couldn't speed him up, for example, because of the way, you know, Stanford out-schemed him and then out-executed him. And, you know, so it's mostly uh, what Stanford does with those kids when they get them there and uh, what USC does with their kids when they get them there. Execution. There's a buzzword we hear a bunch. <laughs> Uh, we'll get to those at some later questions. We, here's a JT Daniels voicemail question for you, Dan. Here you go. This message is for Dan. Dan, this is Big Al from Newport Beach, and um, I respect what you have to say and what you've seen out on the practice field. Uh, but what I heard about our quarterback coming out of high school in the first parts of training camp was several things that I would love to get your opinion on. One was his amazing pocket presence. Uh, I saw some Jim Everett happy feet out there against Stanford. Uh, people have also mentioned that he's got an ability to read his progressions and check down. Uh, I saw a lot of staring down his receivers, um, including one that was led to almost led to an interception. There's been a lot of talk about how accurate a passer he is, and I saw several poorly thrown off-target balls, including the one in the end zone that was intercepted. There's been a lot of talk about his tremendous arm strength, and I saw several underthrown long balls, including one that was set to Tyler Bonds and double move that could have been a touchdown. And then, frankly, we heard a lot about his size, a big kid coming out of high school. And there's a photo of last week, the last couple of weeks, him standing next to Matt Leinart. Maybe he's not as big as uh, the program says. So, uh, Dan, I'm stepped up on the ledge, and I'm about ready to jump off, so I need you to talk me back off the ledge uh, on what you think of these uh, rumors about JT Daniels, and is he just another heavily promoted five-star kid out of the modern-day system that maybe has peaked? Love to get your input. Fight on. Yeah, I think you're probably uh, completely wrong. I, I think you maybe got every single one of, <clears throat> one of those incorrect. Uh, yeah, he may not have been able to throw it down 50 yards down the field on a day where he <laughs> badly bruised his hand, he had to be taken out of the game, he had to be taken in an X-ray. Uh probably wasn't able to do anything with that hand Sunday and Monday. So to, you know, say, gosh, he didn't get, get that one, you know, 50 yards down the field. You know, you know no, uh, I think, I think he's got a terrific arm, an unbelievably good arm. I, I think, uh, uh, to say the, the ball, uh, in the end zone, Amon Ra was off. It was off maybe what, three inches. Uh, Amon Ra had pretty much as good a chance to catch it as the, uh, as the uh, defensive back who just made a better play on it and, and made a more more decisive play. I thought USC's receivers, they still, I mean, he completed the same number of passes as Costello. Uh, you take away, and I, you know, I know people say, oh, you can't take, but the last two passes, again, kind of desperation situation. Uh, but uh, I thought it was a, a really good performance. If you say he stared down, stares down his receivers, if they're coming at you the way Stanford was with pressure, you don't have time to look at 
receiver number two or receiver number three. And very often, if receiver number two is being held or tackled, uh, you better hope receiver number one is open. So again, I, I you know, I, I don't think he had a chance to kind of scan the field. I think that's one of his big strengths is the ability to see the whole field and go from side to side. He can't do it if uh, the pocket's collapsing. And if you talk about happy feet, you better have happy feet if they're collapsing the pocket on you. I mean, you got to do something. You got to, you know, get out of there. Uh, and uh, but he, how many times did he have a chance to just stand in the pocket and survey his progression and go through them? I, I don't, I don't even remember any where he wasn't uh, under some kind of duress. Uh, if he'd have had, for example, even with the bad hand, if he'd have been given the pocket that KJ Costello had gotten, and had he been throwing to the Stanford receivers who, for some reason, uh, when they hit third and long, they were able to complete passes for 22, 23, 25 yards, 16 yards, I think, uh, because, because I don't know, <laughs> because Costello hit enough time. And um, so I think that would be uh, unfair. I would say almost all those criticisms are unfair. I mean, actually, to me, JT's a little bigger than I expected him, a little bigger. He's probably... I, I would call him. I would not call him six three uh, that they do in the uh, in the book. I call him. Uh, I call him six two, in the way that they describe uh, guys six two. He's two hundred and sixteen pounds. He's strong. Um, uh, he runs better than I had expected him to. And uh, you know to to talk about a kid who's a, a freshman going on the road against the top ten team. Uh, and and not having a, a whole lot of really solid offense to go with, uh, I thought it's a pretty good performance, especially considering that you know the hand injury. I would say this: JT Daniels is the least problem USC has on offense, the absolute least problem. Okay, fix a lot of other things. JT Daniels, you'll be jumping up and down, you know, screaming, "Way to go, JT!" He is the least problem USC has on offense. Well, keeping in track with offensive problems, we have a question from Earl in West LA who says, lots of offensive problems, but they all seem to revolve around the O-line play. Two weeks of inconsistent offensive line performance and more stalled drives than I can count. What is the problem, Dan? They just don't look like they they come off the ball well enough. They uh, They don't look like they have the ability... At times, they get a little bit of a, you know, run game going, but they, they don't really stick with it. Uh, it. It looks like maybe they tried too many things, some of which they can't do, and you kind of got to know exactly what you could do and, and how, if you're going to run the ball and you get third and two, uh, you know, you get a couple of four-yard games, now you're third and two. What do you do? Who do you trust? And I think there's, a, there's really a trust situation right now with the with the coaches and the in the line and if you're a running back or you're a, a quarterback who do you trust i mean and it's not that you know everybody's breaking down they only need one guy to break down and i i think that's uh that's a big part of the problem that just there's just not that precision that confidence that everybody is going to execute on every play and let's face it you got an offensive line and we get a report on Thursday before Stanford that basically three of the starters 
didn't really practice. Okay. Two of them did a little and one of them didn't go at all. And then miraculously, all three of them are in the lineup on the field against Stanford. I'm not sure that if you can't answer the bell for Thursday's practice, I'm not sure you should be answering the bell for Saturday at Stanford. You've got younger guys who really want, you know, look, we've been real pleased with some of the younger guys uh, that they do have backups this year. Clay's talked about what a difference it is to have backups. I think this is the point where you say, look, guys, you're not ready to go on Thursday. We'll get you in if we can on Saturday. But you don't have them out there to answer the starting bell. They didn't practice Thursday. Yep. You're not in there Saturday. That would be my approach, but uh, you know that, that makes sense, Dan. And you know, I think they did get the run game going. At t- I don't think the run blocking has been as big of a problem as the pass blocking. When I rewatched the game, and I know Shotgun Keely, you guys rewatched it again too. I don't know if you got the whole thing because I know it takes Shotgun a long time, but I made it through the first half. Okay, but so I was enough to see O line problems for sure. But there was so many times where there were four Stanford rushers. So they'd show like a five man front maybe, or five men in the box. One guy linebacker would drop in the coverage. You know the three down lineman would rush, and like a linebacker might twist and go from the outside up the middle. But it worked all the time, and they would get pressure with four against six or seven five offensive linemen. Usually a running back was in there every time. Sometimes there was two running backs or a running back and a uh, a tight end. And they were just able to generate pressure that way. So it seemed like, I don't know if it was physical or communication or what, but it seemed like that's where it was. It didn't see the same sort of issues when I saw the run blocking, but on the pass blocking, it was very prevalent. Yeah, and I don't know if you should count the running backs as blockers um, in passing situations because I don't think they're getting the job done. They did a pretty uh, good job, though. Carr and, and said did a pretty good job. I saw them times uh, where they, they helped, but... They... Compared to tight end blocking was subpar. Yeah. Oh, well, well uh, no, compared to tight end, okay, right, that's not fair. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just like to see them do better. I mean, it, it As a group, they have to do better. Yes. There's seven of them and four guy, rushers. You have to do better than yeah, that. When you watch a guy like Bryce Love, a Heisman candidate, who blocks the heck out of it? I mean, he is a terrific pass blocker. And, you know, that's just, that's what everybody has to be. It's like, it's not like, well, they do it okay most of the time. No. And I just think you watch and there's not enough bounce in their, in their feet. They don't seem to have the ability to pick up. Clay would say, well, what happened on this play? And Clay would say, well, they ran a great twist. And, and, and to fill out that sentence, and we didn't pick it up because they did something we weren't anticipated and we weren't quick enough, athletic enough, uh, you know, to do something about it. Now, these kids were apparently athletic enough to be recruited by USC coming out of high school. But, you know, they get to be juniors and seniors and they're not ath- athletic enough to pick up. And, and Stanford's not running in a bunch of, uh, you know, NFL draft picks this year on this defense. I mean, they've got it's a nice Stanford team, but it's not. A team that the NFL scouts are saying, "Man, we got to get this guy or that guy." They had a, you know, they had a better defensive front last year, and USC did a better job against it. So, I, I think it was mostly USC not having the ability to to do what they need to do, not being prepared properly, not being, uh, you know, fast enough and athletic enough and react quickly enough and anticipate enough. And it's just, you know, you name it. They just, but you, but Ryan's right. When they just hit the lineup and kind of go go at you, 
Stanford didn't have uh, an advantage in terms of strength or, or, you know, ability to get a push up front. I mean, USC had pretty good push. The problem is you get four yards and you get four yards and now you're third and two. What do you run at third and two? Because Stanford might do something that you're not expecting. And is USC going to be able to get it? You know, the fourth and two probably cost them the game where they, you know, they couldn't get it on third and two at the 40 of Stanford before halftime. So then they got to run, you know, they're not going to run. I mean, for example, if you've got third and two uh, at the Stanford 40, you should be able to run the ball twice and get two yards. They, first of all, they couldn't get any yards on the run. And then the pass, uh, you know, they, they got nothing on the pass. Uh, so you can't do that. When you get that opportunity, uh, it could, you know, they could have tied the game uh, and going into halftime and they're down 14 to nothing instead. Yeah. I mean, well, that's so, like a really big swing. Yeah. We have like a whole section on offensive line questions, yeah. but we there's a lot of play. I don't know. Do you want to do another one or do you want to? I could do a play calling voicemail. Uh, well, we have a question from Nick in Cyprus who says, why does the O-line seem to be worse off with Callaway than we played musical chairs at that position, coach? Meaning. Uh, you know what? Yeah, I, it's been three years with with Neil Callaway. Callaway. Yeah, where yeah, the previous I, I six they had a different one every personal, year. I think it's easy to personalize it. Uh, I think it would be hard for the best offensive line coach in the country to get enough done if you have a team that doesn't practice fast and hard against uh, defensive people who are really trying to stop you. If you don't go in pads at least twice a week, uh, I, I just think, you know, there's, there's just not enough done in practice. I think the offensive linemen, more than anybody, uh, don't benefit when they don't go hard. And now that they're going against scout team almost completely, uh, you know, in, uh, in practice when they do 11-on-11, uh, 11 11, uh, I think the offensive linemen – and for me, I think the, the wide receivers are having trouble as a result of not being challenged in practice and not having to go full speed and fully competitive in practice. I think it shows up in those two uh, position groups more than anybody uh, because you need to be challenged in practice and you need to, you need to be ready to go at those. I mean, that was the amazing thing about, you know, the, the P. Carroll era there wasn't a player who didn't tell you practice was harder than the games and they knew it. They were confident going into games. They didn't have a sense of, well, can we do this or can't we, they knew they could because of how they practiced. And this team, I think he doesn't know what they can do or can they get the play when they fourth and two comes because they haven't done it in practice. They haven't been challenged in practice. And, uh, and this defense would be the kind of defense that could really challenge them. And if they don't, if they're not getting it done, they'll show them up. And that, you know, happened, we thought, really well. Uh, the mock game week, when they turned the, lo- the defense loose and the offense slugged it out, and for Tuesday and Wednesday, they had just great practices. And we haven't seen that again. And, uh, and we've seen more and more scout team and more and more uh, letting the offense just run their stuff instead of being, you know, again, challenged. And, and I don't think you need to f- tackle full, you know, you don't need a full tackle at all. You have to need to take people to the ground. 
But you need to play full speed and you need to fully compete in practice for the angles and, and, you know, knock the ball down if, if you get the chance and don't let them catch it and, and, and don't let the receivers, you know, out and do all the things that they're going to face in games. And I don't think they're seeing that. So they get to games and they're not quite ready to play at the level that they have to play in games. Now that doesn't always hurt them when they're, severely out-talenting someone else. But when they play at Stanford, so they, they're out-talenting them, but not by that much. And when, when you add the way Stanford executes, uh, that makes it really difficult, I think, for them to run an offense that looks like uh, they, uh, they can do what they want to do or they believe in it. And I, w- I was just thinking, if you're the play call, if you're T. Martin, and you've got that fourth and two call, what the heck do you call? I mean – do you know what to call? I mean, we all watch the games, and what would we call? We all watch practice. What would be your go-to play there? Or you got third, third and two, and you got two plays to get two yards, and you failed on both of them. Yeah, that's unacceptable. That's absolutely unacceptable, and it's a sign that you're not getting it done in practice. You have to get. You got two yards to go at the forty for the tying touchdown for halftime, and you're going to get the ball to start the second half. This is the perfect scenario, but you have to do it. You have to get those two yards. If you haven't done it in practice, you're not going to do it in the game against Stanford. Yeah. And, then, you know, you mentioned the play calling. We, there was a lot of offensive line questions. There's a lot of play calling questions. Here's one, a voicemail for you. Hi, Ryan and team. This is Alan in St. Louis. It's been a while since I last called, so I hope uh, everyone's doing well. Uh, I'm sure you've already gotten a lot of calls already about the uh, the lack of uh, ingenuity on the offense and the repetitiveness that we've seen over the past few years that was exemplified by the performance today. So I'm going to avoid uh, commenting on that. The only thing I'll say is that uh, we got to a point in the game where I swear my cat that was sitting next to me on the couch was able to call plays based off the formation at the line of scrimmage. It was that easy to see what was going on. But anyway... The point I wanted to make, and I was hopefully uh, uh, looking forward to Dan Weber's uh, comments on this, was that uh, I want to know what you guys thought about Stanford. I wasn't particularly impressed by this team. Um, I felt like uh, Costello didn't make any throws that were particularly hard. only found receivers that were open. And uh, both the offense and defense seemed like if it weren't for the competitive advantage of knowing exactly every single play that USC was calling on offense or defense, I don't really know if I would have been that afraid of, of the Stanford team. So just want to know your thoughts on the performance of the opposition this week. And uh, as always, thank you so much for all the work that you do and, and fight on. Yeah, I mean, I think your evaluation of Stanford is right on. I mean, if you can only score 17 points in a big game that matters so much at home uh, that you've been pointing for, you know, for a year, uh, you're probably not great, but um, but they didn't make Costello. And I know uh, if Bruce Feldman comes on, I know he he says you know likes Costello. But the genius of what Stanford did with Costello, they only make him do what he does well. And USC didn't make him speed up. They didn't get him off his spots. He's not very accurate if you get him moving and get him off you know exactly the rhythm of the play. And um, you know, he, he still, they were only four of 13 on third downs. They, they, they only had 13 first downs. 
they only ran 57 plays and they, they gained 342 yards. None of those are really winning numbers in almost any game that you could think of that that would be enough to win the football game for you. It sure shouldn't have been enough to win that game, you know, for Stanford, but then USC basically, you know, didn't show up on offense. So, uh, uh, I think Stanford did whatever Stanford does in order to, you know, get the most out of what they got. And, uh, and Bryce Love just keeps trying. I mean, he had an awful lot of plays where he didn't gain anything and didn't gain anything and didn't gain anything. They didn't look very good. And then he'd break one and then they'd go through the cycle again. And, uh, you know, as good as the USC defense played overall, they still are giving up those, uh, you know, explosive plays. And, uh, and it cost them, you know, they would have been able to, to not give up, you know, the 59 yard run, the 28 yard run to, to, uh, Bryce Love and the untouched touchdown run. Uh, they have a great day or, or not give up those 26 and 29 yard pass, you know, patterns and those big receivers. Uh, but, uh, but Sanford knows what they do well and that's what they do. And USC, uh, you don't get the sense that they absolutely know who they are or what they do well, or, I mean, just the idea that Sanford decided, and smartly so, even though he technically isn't a starter, they decided to take Amon Ra out of the game, and they did. And USC couldn't really figure out how to get Amon Ra into the passing game. I mean, you know, the one great play that he makes on the ball right out of the end zone, and then the one play in the other end zone where he doesn't quite get to it, uh, but uh, he needed more chances uh, to be a factor in that game. And USC needed to be able to uh, figure out how to do that. And they couldn't. And they didn't. And they looked like they were just, you know, kind of desperation. And then at the end, you know, with five minutes to go, it doesn't look like they're desperation at all. They're just kind of trotting up the line of scrimmage and, and uh, running that you know, end of the game offense that we used to get cra- go crazy when, when Cody Kessler was doing it and they were trailing somebody and you were screaming, what's going on? You know, you, you need a couple of scores, but, uh, uh, wasn't a good, wasn't a good day for the offense and, and they need to figure out, uh, a lot of things before they, uh, move on down the road. Cause they're good enough to beat. There's not a team on their schedule. They're not good enough to beat, but they got to show up and play. So John and Brea is hoping to use our podcast uh, to keep him sane this week. He says, I'm angry, not at the players, the coaches or administration. I'm angry at myself for thinking this year was going to be different. Hearing Clay Helton after the game say this is an early game against a top 10 team makes me think that he doesn't think that uh, he doesn't have the expectation that USC is a top 10 team. I would like to have him hear him use the word unacceptable or something similar were you at all disappointed in clay helton's comments after the game does this team and coaching staff and administration have the drive and mentality necessary to ever be a top 10 team again they haven't shown it i mean that's the problem they really don't don't show it i mean uh they just you know just going and trying isn't good enough. You got to be better than that if you're USC football. I mean, and, and basically the history of USC's football is you have two different kinds of coaches. You have the four who won national championships, uh, and then you have the all the rest. And you either it's boom or bust at USC. You either are really good. If you're really good, uh, USC is a place where you can win national championships. If you're not really good, 
you're gone. I mean, there's no like happy in between, uh, and whether this group is going to be that sort of in between, but until they get that national championship mentality, uh, you know, what you saw Saturday is probably going to be what you're going to see where, you know, they'll beat the teams that they've got more talent. Mostly, uh, they won't beat the really well coached teams on the road, uh, and maybe be good enough to win the Pac-12 South should be most of the time, but, um, will they be good enough to challenge for national championships? Not the way they're going now. Uh, they just, uh, they just, don't seem to take themselves seriously enough. And they don't seem to have as much confidence in themselves as you would think a USC football team with uh, the number of top recruits and all that that they have uh, should take themselves seriously. Um, I noticed today uh, Tom Herman, or yesterday, I guess, Tom Herman's press conference at Texas, and he echoed the words of, um, uh, of David Shaw last week, which was how much talent USC has how talented they are. Uh, you never hear a coach say how tough USC is, how physical they are, how well coached they are. Never hear that ever, not once. And I think, uh, who was it? Uh, I guess it was uh, Herman also said, and they're really fast on defense. And you think, well, you know, USC has fast athletes on offense too. But the more you think about it, if you're watching USC, they don't look fast because they don't play fast. And that very much could be a symptom of how they practice. If you don't practice fast, you don't look like you're playing fast. And, and on offense, they don't really look all that fast. And uh, I, I don't know that, you know, somebody, you know, I just thought about this, that you practice the way you play and you play the way you practice. And that's exactly what USC does. They play the way they practice. We have a uh, another voicemail for question for you, Dan. Here you go. Hey, Ryan and uh, and Dan, this is a deplorable Dan in Tustin calling <laughs> in to just uh, let you know that uh, everything looks good to me. It's like clay and tea. I've got everything pretty much covered, except for. Things like offensive line blocking, defensive line stopping the run. Uh, it, it's just another year of the same old, same old. One of these days we're going to figure out that uh, this head coach and this offensive coordinator are, have taken us as far as we're going to go. we got to do something different. This, is, uh, this isn't USC football, not even close. Yeah, I think uh, for deplorable Dan there, uh, I think a USC team that can't line up and block you, can't knock you off the ball, is not USC football. I mean, you go back through the history, and I'll be honest, in watching USC football from afar uh, in the Midwest or the <laughs> the, the northern end of the south uh, in Kentucky, uh, the thing I always noticed were the big athletic offensive linemen as much as the tailbacks were winning Heisman trophies or as much as eventually you had great quarterbacks come along. And, and it, I just think the thing that always impressed me about USC football was that he had really big, lean, athletic, tough offensive linemen who you knew were going to be 
great in the NFL for years and years and years and years. That to me was USC football. They had offensive linemen that when they played people in the Rose Bowl, the the Big Ten teams that we followed didn't look like the USC teams. USC had better looking athletes, and we don't see that as much now. That, that just you don't have that sense that USC comes out and lines up that they're just going to knock your block off. Uh, that just that's not a sense of, that you get, and um, they've got to restore that. They've got to do it in recruiting. They got to do it in practice, and then they got to do it the way they scheme. And then they got to uh, do it so that they believe in it and their players believe in it. I mean, those teams, you know, that, that John McKay had, they believed in, in a student body right. They absolutely believed in whatever it was they were doing. And I'm not sure this team, these coaches, believe in what they're doing. I think they're hoping. I mean, one of the astonishing things we heard uh, you know, on the on the conference call Sunday night was, how they're hoping to get better field position because when you get the average starting uh, uh, position on the field is the 22-yard line, it makes you have all those long drives, and you just know you're going to screw them up. And you think, what in the world? I mean, you have no control to some extent over where you get the football. And if that, if that gives you a chance to have long drives, so be it. Their offense is sitting on the bench. And you're pounding on their defense. You want long drives, you would think, unless you're thinking, oh, we're going to screw this up somehow. And if you want better field position, here's another tip. If they have a punter who's kicking at 66 yards and 61 yards, and your punter is kicking at 30 yards, you got a problem. You're not going to get good field position. They're going to get good field position. If you want good field position, Maybe you need to get a punter that kicks it more than 30 yards uh, at times. I mean, you know, it's just you're not flipping the field. When they had a chance to flip the field and you hit a 30-yarder, I mean, don't talk about field position. Yeah. You're not getting it. Insert, mean, insert USC has two punters on scholarship already joke here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just – yeah, and then you watch the Stanford kid. Okay, I know it was a career-long 66, but then he hits one 61 yards. I mean, it's like, what the heck? It's like they're playing two different – it's like they're sh- shooting a howitzer and you're shooting a – you know, you got a pea shooter or something. I mean, it's just – it was so unfair to the 66 yards to 30 yards. I mean, it's just – you just – you can't – there's no excuse for that, to be honest. Yeah. Brian sent us a question that says, with seeing the dramatic change at Texas A&M in just one season with the coaching slash culture change, is that what is needed at USC? I like Helton, but I feel like he isn't demanding the level of excellence and accountability that is needed. Just look at the offensive line. They have been consistently horrendous for the past two seasons. Is Helton the guy who will demand change and will right the ship? Please give me your thoughts. Well, that's the question that you know, everybody's asking the $64,000 question or whatever you want to want to call it. Uh, it's the question Clay has to answer. He's got to answer. I'm not sure coming out, you know, Sunday and saying we're going to do the same thing in practice. We're going to, you know, do it the same way Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday that we've been doing it. Uh, I just think that doesn't get it done. Saying Thursday is situational master mastery day. Uh, I kind of liked it when it was like turnover Tuesday or whatever. You know, if you want to get good field position, 
and that really matters, maybe you need to work harder on, on creating turnovers and takeaways. Uh, there was a team here that, you know, we all can remember who really worked hard at that and they, they got a lot of short fields. Uh, it, I don't know that it's good enough to just hope things, you know, to say things like with our receivers Sunday or Saturday, the ball just didn't find them. It just happened. Some, no, the ball didn't find them. Come on. You, you, you can't say that. You can't think that. And you've got to be in control of your own destiny. And you have to make the ball find them. You have to make them find the ball. It's, you know, and you can't say, wow, we're in trouble if we don't get good short fields. Um, no. If you get long fields, you get to have longer drives. You just make it happen. And I, I That inability to see this as a game where it's up to you to make good things happen for yourself. You're in charge of that. And, uh, yeah, I thought Texas A&M, there's a new, uh, kind of a new spirit there. And I wasn't even a big, big, you know, Jimbo fan, but, uh, something changed. No question. Tark wants and now to... the pack, now the pack 12 oh. has the ex Texas A&M coach and how's he doing? Yeah. Sorry to be out there, Dan. That's okay. Tarek wants to know, USC struggled against Stanford's large tight ends. Does this concern you going into Texas against their large receivers? It, it concerns me if they can't get any pressure on the quarterbacks. If they can't, if they can't, you know, I mean, they were taking pride. Let's face it. This is a team that 40, uh, 46 sacks last year, the most in the tied from the most in the country. And, um, and they, you know, they basically, you know, didn't rush uh, Costello at all. I mean, uh, USC, okay, the problem to some extent is they lost their third safety. But uh, USC, he had a pretty good matchup. I mean, who else in the country? USC started 6'4 and 6'3 safeties. Nobody else in the country, I think, has two safeties that big. They've got a big, you know, a big corner in Iman. So they've got three as big, uh, you know, guys in the secondary as, as anybody in the country uh, and bigger than a lot of NFL teams. So, you know, if teams have, you know, basketball play, you know, player tight ends, A, you want to take advantage of them in, in terms of they probably aren't going to be the greatest blockers in the world, and B, they're not going to have the greatest, uh, you know, downfield speed. So, uh, you know, there are ways you can – Use that to your advantage, and you can't say, "Oh my goodness, what are we going to do?" They're they're so tall. No, no, there there are things that uh, you know that you can do uh, to counteract that, but you got to do it. You got to get to the quarterback. I thought their pass rush was just uh, uninspired, and, uh, and and just you know, I mean, poor quarter Gustin tried this and tried that and tried whatever, and Stanford just picked him up wherever he went. Stanford picked him up. USC didn't, uh, as much as we talked about not enough urgency on offense at the end of the game, I don't, I mean, I thought they were playing safe and, and, and you can't second guess too much a defense that gave them 17 points. I mean, that's a, that's a winning yeah. defense. That was enough so, to win the game. That was enough yeah, of an effort yeah. to win the game. Yeah. So as much as you say, I wish they had a pass rush or I wish they wouldn't have given up those long, you know, third and long plays. Uh, or wish they wouldn't have, you know, let 
uh, Bryce, uh, you know, Love get away a couple of times. He still played enough well enough to win that game. So uh, I guess we we don't want to focus on that. But uh, but yeah, there ought to be things you can do to uh, take advantage of, of big tight ends. I mean, it, you know, it's not it's not that easy for them. Uh, uh, you know, big tight end who's a pass receiver is probably not going to be a great blocker and probably not going to get downfield all that well. You just have to play fit faster on defense and they're playing on offense didn't happen enough uh saturday so finally from alex he wants to know from all of us after saturday's loss what does a successful season look like for clay and his staff uh what improvements would we like to see going forward well i mean i don't think that i mean i still think they better win the south if they don't win the south i think um and that's i think that's the 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 floor of yeah. you know what what the ceiling is. That's the minimum uh, of success, I would say. Is yeah, and they, they got to win the South, and if they don't win the South, um, you know, all bets are off. Uh, I think. I mean, who on this? Who do they play from now on? Who they can't beat? I mean, is there anybody they can't beat if they go out and you know reasonably execute and reasonably figure scheme, you know, get the game plan right and reasonably you know protect and just play with enough, you know, fire and enough, uh, you know, excitement and enough, uh, you know, full speed execution. Uh, but again, you can go broke, uh, betting on coaches are going to see the light. I mean, uh, you know, if, if you followed the, the Kiffin, you know, the end of the P Carroll era and then the Kiffin years and then the Sark years, you go broke betting that they're going to figure it out or, when it happens, they're going to know it. You know, the second, you know, when Tiffin was uh, 2011, when he finished the way he did and they ran the ball and they blocked people and they just, you know, did it and they come back ranked number one in the next year, you think he did learn from that, didn't he? He absolutely learned seeing what USC could do uh, when they could run the ball and be, you know, really sound. And But he didn't have Red Ellison. He didn't have, uh, you know, Khalil. And uh, they did 90 different things the next year, and they were awful. You know, they went from, what is it, the first to worst. Uh, and so the more I think you say, well, I think they're going to get it now, or just like us, you know, we loved their practices three weeks ago. They got it. They're competing. They're physical. They're going fast. They're challenging one another. The offense has to perform because the defense is, isn't going to let them if they don't. And that went away. It just, boom, that was mock game week. And then, you know, that just vanished. We started getting ready for the season, and they started preparing game for game, you know, game by game, and it all disappeared into the ether. And um, so who knows? I mean, you would wish that they would go back to what they did in mock game week. But uh, haven't seen any signs of that. And the more they do kind of dummy walkthroughs against the scout team, uh, not sure that gets you ready. I don't think Texas is doing dummy mock. I mean, it was interesting. Texas was coming off the practice field Sunday. So they go right from Saturday's game into Sunday's practice. Monday, um, Herman, I guess, had about a half-hour press conference. And he's not, you know, he's not getting, you know, softballs either. But um, but Texas is working, working, working. Whether they're good enough, whether they believe in what they're doing, I don't know. Uh, but 
USC's got to got to be pretty purposeful. And I know everybody said, well, what did the USC do Monday? Uh, well, they rearranged their practice schedule so they could watch Sam Darnold. Well, that's great. I mean, I hopefully Sam inspires them. Uh, and uh, Sam ought to be an inspiration when you watch, uh, <laughs> you watch what he's doing now. Uh, but, um, but did that get him ready for Texas? I don't know. Dan Weber, be writer and columnist. I know you got to get run off to practice. So, uh, We'll be there. We'll practice? be trailing behind. Yeah, practice? There's practice, actually. Practice. I don't think it was rearranged today because no Sam Darnold game. <laughs> uh, but, Dan, thanks so much. And, you know, again, apologize. We couldn't get to all the questions because there were – I mean, how many How many are left, Keely? There's like zillions. Right? Oh, we just scratched the surface. Yeah. There's a lot. So we we'll apologize. We'll try to for answer them. We'll try to answer them. Send them. We'll send them. Uh, I'll get them, and we'll see what we can do here. All right. Well, that was Dan Weber. Great stuff from Dan. Again, apologize. We couldn't get to all of the questions. We'll have Dan do his column. Uh, maybe he'll on his flight down to Austin. Maybe he can uh, answer some of those. But we have, you know, Keely was in studio with me. We also have Bruce Feldman in studio. You can follow him on Twitter at Bruce Feldman CFB. He's a contributor at The Athletic. Yeah, it was like minor contributor, right? Or, <laughs> but, you know, major guy. There. And then, of course, he's uh, does... Games on Fox. He was the sideline reporter uh, for Fox with Brady Quinn. And who's the other guy? Joe. Was it Joe Davis? Joe Davis. Are you not a Dodgers fan? Do you not watch Joe? No, I don't. I don't have a <laughs> spectrum. Whatever. Right, I do like another, Brady. Like, I like Brady. I think he's pretty good. Joe's very good. Joe is very good. He's very good. All right. Yeah, Joe's really good. Well, Bruce, thanks for coming in studio with us. Good to be here, Ryan. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, I'm glad I Dan warmed up the seat, so I'm ready to go. A <laughs> <laughs> little different experience uh, now, Keely. Right? We're not we're not going to do questions. We're just going to like chat. Just about a little chit chat about Stanford. A little chit chat, yeah. And I, you know, and uh, I know you're a big fan of Trader Joe's too. I wanted to <laughs> let our listeners know we're all big Trader Joe's fans here. I just finished. Uh, I got to get more of the peanut butter cups because I just finished my last one. Have you guys ever tried the little ice cream cones from there? I don't think I've tried those. You, you really got to go. I'm not. This is like they sponsor our podcast too. It would have nothing to do with this. Honestly, God, <laughs> we were down in Florida at my uh, my sister's house, and they had they had them for their kids, and like it's the best like ice cream. Like they're a little. I think it's like straight to the cone. They're like not much bigger than your thumb, so they're low calorie. They're vanilla and chocolate. Definitely get them. All right. Wow. I love getting recommendations, so uh, I will try. I know I you have sweets. a sweet tooth, Ryan. So <laughs> yes, yes, I do. And Bruce actually brought me lunch for our little favorite pokey place around the corner. Thank you for doing. Go that, get Bruce. the ice cream cone. Seriously, it's it's That's like the be best dessert you're now. going to get. I'm going to stop on the way to practice. And you could probably some. eat three wow. of them. Okay, I'll pick some up and drop them off at your house. It's your, you your complex. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, we got Bruce here, and we wanted to get him on. We like we said before, we wanted to get him on for. The live show, um, and he wasn't feeling that good. He's traveling a lot on the weekends and stuff. So he said he volunteered to come in, you know, for the podcast. Brought me lunch. He must. Have, you must have. I really felt, felt really bad because wow. I was like, that definitely seemed like I was hungover or something. It wasn't the case. We <laughs> took our kids to the movie theater for the first time. Wow. Didn't feel well. Got like kind of sick in there. Went to take a nap and then woke up with like. 11 minutes before you were like, my my show is starting. I'm like, I'm never going to make this. <laughs> so here I am. Nice. Well, thanks for coming, Bruce. Um, well, what did you see, you know, being on the sidelines, seeing everything that was going on? What were kind of some of the impressions you got from the game? A couple of things stood out. First of all, I thought that their O-line was really underwhelming because looking at Stanford's defense, and I spent, you know, three days around the Stanford program last week, 
They have a very good secondary. They're really talented, especially at the corners. Um, their linebackers are pretty good. But the big concern with them was their defensive line. Yeah. A couple of years ago, they had probably the best player in the Pac-12 in Solomon Thomas. And then last year, they had a dominant defensive lineman, Harrison Phillips. Both those guys are gone. Yeah. And for USC to struggle, and for, for them, I think they had 37 carries, nothing longer than 14 yards. And USC has really good running backs. Is anyone as good as Ronald Jones? Probably not as explosive, but they still have some of the best running backs in the Pac-12. Yeah. Like, I think if you were to rank the 15 best running backs in the Pac-12, USC probably has three of them, or at least two of them. And for them not to get yeah. anything going, Toa Lobendon was back. Now, was he 100%? I don't know. But he played, and he's, you know, he's played a lot. Again, it wasn't a great Stanford defense that JT Daniels didn't have much of a chance, and the receivers didn't get open. The other thing that kind of as an aside was just I'm on the sideline of a lot of, of a lot of games, and up till the third quarter, first of all, USC had no big plays in the first half, but they hit one like midway through the third quarter, and that was the only sign of life I really felt like I saw from 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 USC there. And I think some of that's a function of Stanford's game environment. Stanford's not in school yet; they're right. you know they won't start classes I guess for another two weeks. And there was a big chunk of USC fans there that made up the stadium and they didn't have much to cheer for. So it was kind of Stanford plays at a plodding pace. You know, they're not pushing the tempo. Our crew does a lot of big 12 games and where they're going faster. And it's, there's a more of a sense of urgency. And it's a little more frenetic. Uh, you didn't have that in that stadium. So it was kind of almost like they were lulled to sleep and they look like it. The, uh, a lot of times you see those, those jeeps or whatever they are that have like the tower on them. They're going up and down the sidelines. And if it's like a big 12 game, I'm sure they're yeah. like driving up and down, running over people and stuff. You don't have to move all that much probably for this one. No, it was, it was really kind of a, a listless performance. You know, I, I, I thought Stanford's good on offense. They didn't need to be great. They, no. cause they were going to win this game and they were going to limit possessions. And it was just like, it was a Stanford game. And, and this is the question I would ask you guys, cause you're around these guys all the time. Stanford has an identity. They know what they're about. I don't get the feeling USC really has an identity right now. And I think that's a, that's a concern. I mean, I wrote about this this week that I think, you know, and I, full disclosure, I interviewed Ryan for this piece because I thought Ryan has a, as good a feel for the USC fan base as anybody. But, you know, what's Clay Helton's fate? Most of the best players in the program are freshmen and sophomores. They're going to be some growing pains. I think it's going to be hard for them not to be a uh, you know a nine or ten win team next year, just because you look at the guys who are coming back. They're going to have a really good D line with those freshmen and sophomores. Uh, you know the coaching staff raves about your kid from Bishop Gorman who EA. I don't know how they pronounce his last Nateote or Pella EA Nateote. Nateote, very good. I've practiced. Yeah, <laughs> they the, the next great USC linebacker. I mean, there's there's guys there. Uh, so I think they'll be really good. It's just, you know, they got to get better on the offensive line if they want to compete for national championships. Yeah. Did, did you see the similar stuff on the sideline, Keely? You were down there? Or? Yeah. I mean, there was no sense of urgency. I mean, it almost, it, the net, USC was never out of the game. But if you just took the feel of the sideline, it was, it seemed like it was 50 to zero. It just seemed like, oh, this is impossible. We can't do it. And that's not something you want from UFC, who's clearly more talented and could do it. I just felt like they didn't think they could do it before the game was even over. And I think, you know, Bruce, the point of identity, I think Clay Helton said before, like, they want to be like Stanford and stuff. And, you know, last year, to Clay Helton's credit, he beat them twice. Like, those were the best two wins I think he had 
on the schedule and and didn't think it was going to sit well with David Shaw. I don't know if he's like preaching revenge or anything, but that's not something he really wanted on his resume, losing to Clay Hills three times in a row. Uh, but they they have their identity. And once the kind of game starts going the Stanford direction, USC wasn't able to out Stanford Stanford. But it seemed like that's what USC was trying to do. But they just weren't executing anywhere near that level. They even told us that. I forgot who said it in our meeting. I don't know if it was Clay on Friday night said that that's what they were you know thinking of trying to do. And once you get in a direction with them, it's interesting because I don't want to say they're mirrors of each other, but... At the end of the game, I asked David Shaw a question, and it was it was really related to his defense. They lost four players on the defense side of the ball who are now in the NFL, one of them Harrison Phillips. To me, that was by far their biggest question, not yeah. just the D-line, but the defense, because I think their offense is very good. And so, you know, with it framed that way, he said, he started out the question, the response with, with all due respect. And when somebody says, with all due respect, you're like, oh boy, I don't know where this is going. <laughs> but it, it could be right between the eyes. And he said, everybody talks about USC's athletes and we got really good athletes too. And if you're around them, you see that. I mean, there are, you know, there are guys they have the most talented defensive back in that game is number 11. He's a freshman, retro freshman at Stanford. He's not anybody at USC. I mean, he's a long, like track kind of guy who's six one. He's a better athlete than Biggie Marshall. And they have guys, obviously Bryce Love is more dynamic than anybody USC has. They don't, I don't think they have some of the smaller fast receivers as much as USC does, but they got big talented receivers. Their tight ends are much better than what USC has right now. I know USC is depleted. They were down to two for that game, but Caden Smith might be a first round pick. The other guy behind him, he could end up as a first round pick. You look at what, uh, Walker Little was he? I think he was the number one ranked offensive line recruit in the country, and he's living up to that. The kid who got hurt, Foster Sorrell, who's a who was a Washington kid, a lot of people really liked too. And the the question I guess I would have is, I, I hate to bring this name up because it was like I remember Mar- Martin Coleman was like a five star yeah, guy. Yeah. Like USC's had a lot of guys in the trenches who have come in as five star guys or something close to that. And they just don't seem to to turn out that way. And I don't know what that is. Whereas you look at some of these other programs and those guys have either, and maybe it's a function of you, they get to USC and they are, you know, because the USC is recruiting and their, their stock goes up. I don't know exactly what goes into it, but you just see more guys living up to it at Stanford than they seem to be at, at USC right now. I think there's a lot of, if you look at the recruiting rankings, Stanford's pretty consistent about getting four and five star highly ranked offensive linemen. Uh, they get they, they'll pick and choose. They don't get the big classes. They're never going to be ranked right. as high. Um, but the depth that they get on the offensive line is crazy. Like guys at USC wants, and you know they'll go after them and get them. Uh, but if you look at like the skill guys, you know, USC gets far more uh, of those. But it's player development. It's you know working in a great system. I think, you know, Stanford didn't really need to do much in the second half. USC didn't. I thought USC played pretty well on defense. They didn't have to. They couldn't get a sack. They couldn't get a turnover. But if Stanford's not playing to do anything crazy, they're not going to put themselves in a place no, where would yeah, they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's I, no reason to do that. I know. I know. Uh, I hope I'm not preempting Dan because I don't know if he's already on in this part of the podcast. No, but yeah. We, this is following. Yeah. yeah so. Like Stanford didn't need to do anything crazy to put up. Like, I don't care how many yards they had. Um, they didn't need to get, you know, it wasn't like they were trying to, to, to hit the over for, for this game, you know, like 
they had no turnovers. They hit some shots. I think they liked the matchup they had whenever they had somebody on Greg Johnson, you know, going into this in the second quarter. They got some into a, you know, at one point there was a touchdown pass where they had the tight end on him. And it's a six, seven tight end against, I don't know, Greg Johnson's five, ten and a half, something like that. It might be being generous, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And like, I'm, I don't know, 15 feet away from, from, from David Shaw. It's late in the second quarter and he's screaming out, KJ, no kill, no kill. Meaning basically that's your matchup. Don't even go away from this. This is too easy. And it was an easy touchdown for them. Yeah. You know, they made it look easy. And I think USC just could not get them out of what, out of their comfort zone. And I'm, I agree with you. I don't think the defense played bad, but I just think that Stanford pretty much kind of did what they wanted to do and did what they knew they were going to do. It was a Stanford game throughout, and USC couldn't unsettle that. So you see a lot of teams, especially from the sideline. What stands out to you about USC that is different, maybe in a negative way, about USC? Uh, this is probably uh, you know unfair because it's only a small window, and, and you and Shotgun would have a way better sense of this because you guys see them you know, from field level all the time. But I was just like, wow, they were kind of very listless in the body language and everything like that. And again, some of this is like, it's probably unfair to throw all this out because you have a true freshman quarterback playing in his first conference game, first road game. You had some other guys who are, who are like that. My guess is Amon Ra will not be that way by the end of the year. He might not even be that way by the end of the month. (laughs) But for now, it was just kind of, we're not really sure. You know, you look and go, who's the leaders i had asked one of the guys on staff about next year's team because i was like okay they got three really promising young defensive linemen i again go back to to ea and what they think of him so who's going to be the leader of the defense because you kind of know cam smith is kind of their glue guy and they said you know i was told it was probably jordan iosefa and i don't know where it fits on offense but when you have Sam Darnold covered up a lot of flaws i think he covered up a lot of flaws from the offensive line i think to some degree he probably could bail them out on the defensive side of the ball too with some of the just he's going to find a way and I don't know where there's it seems to be a little bit of a leadership vacuum right now I think in the locker room I don't know who's that guy uh, where those guys are but that's the thing that I think is just kind of they miss right now is just that piece of it whereas you look at other programs and when you're on the field, you can see who the leaders are. You can see how they respond. You see it like a different sense of energy when they manage the sidelines. In some ways, I think USC is definitely talented. I don't think they're like, it's not like talented like when Pete Carroll was here, though. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, just being around for a long time, I've seen a lot of guys there. There's no, there's no Leonard Williams or Cedric Ellis on this team. I mean, there's no, there's no Brian Cushing right now. Like, I, I think cam smith is a good player they have good players but there's nobody like marvell tell i think is a good player but just there's something that's not quite there right now and i think it's just kind of they're in a lull yeah it seems like it um you know we'll see the uh interesting side note i'm seeing on twitter as we're talking uh that bryce love is not going to play against uc davis he actually walked off when I was down there, I think I said hi to you yeah. um, right before you were doing some shot or something. I'm trying to distract you. But then uh, but we saw Bryce Love like walking out before the game was over. So. He had uh, so he had taken a hit with about one thirty left in the game because we were supposed to do our postgame interview with okay. him, with Shaw and then him. And he went into the injury tent. He got out. He had a big smile on his face. He jogged over his family or somebody I think was his family was there. 
And then he, you know, as the game was over, so he ran down the tunnel. And it was just in my own, like, personal thought process of how, you know, because at that point you're trying to think of your questions for people. I was like, well, am I going to ask David Shaw about something that he has clearly, you know, it's not like he needs urgency to find out in this minute what what's going on with Bryce Love. I mean, yeah. they're going to wait till probably they're back in the locker room. But I don't know what would have happened if they had a Pac-12 opponent this week instead of UC Davis. I think they're bringing their starting center back who missed the first couple of games to get some timing down. I think there was a couple other players who won't play this week. So, I mean, I think that's a function of you played a big game and now they're going to get ready for the pa- the rest of the Pac-12 schedule. Did you see what his injury was? Just curious. Or I not? don't know. I know some people speculated that it might have been concussion. When we oh, talked wow. to Stanford, okay. they did not say anything about that. Uh, they, it was undisclosed right now. So, it, you know, it's a tricky thing. Whenever people speculate on, especially on Twitter, like, oh, that's definitely a concussion. Like, I, I did a game a couple of years ago. It was K-State at Oklahoma State. And I would have bet that the, the quarterback got knocked out of the game with a concussion by everything. And he came later back in the game. We talked to their staff and they said, no, he had, went through concussion protocol. And like that to me, like the, the way his body reacted when he was knocked down, like that guy is a K-State quarterback. I would have like I would have been convinced that that was a concussion. And again, they said the staff said it wasn't. Yeah. So I try to steer clear and whatever the medical staff tells you. They're the ones doing the tests. Uh, we're not in the we're not in the medical tent at that point. Um, I wanted to ask you about the the Texas game. Did you have anything else, Keely? Before we, uh... I guess for you, seeing USC, what do you expect from this team going forward? I think JT is going to get a lot better, just with more time in there. I think. I think they're probably, I hate to say it like this, but I think they're kind of what I was expecting. They're, I think they look like an eight and four team. They're, they're. They're in a weak division, right? I don't know what's going to happen when Notre Dame comes to I mean, play them. Herm is, Herm is tough now, so Arizona State, they're real. They should still beat everybody. <laughs> in, you know, The only team I could think who could give them a hard time is Utah. Yeah. Because Utah is physical. And in a lot of ways, they do. I don't think they have enough as many athletes as USC. But in some regards, they have some things that USC doesn't have. I mean, they get physical. They, they're nasty. Uh, on both lines i don't think they have quite a the depth but when i look at them i think this is an eight and four team i think notre dame is more talented than them i don't know how usc's offensive line will hold up because if usc had its hands full with stanford i know this is going to be a home game when they play notre dame notre dame's defense is much more talented than stanford's especially in the front seven so there's a long time between now and then and maybe maybe Toa Lobanon was at 75%. I don't know. And maybe that'll be a big difference. But yeah. they just, like, Chuma Doga had, like, it was something, a hip problem or something. He did not look great. Yeah. Uh, that's the question. Again, I, I just keep coming back to, and I know Dan and you guys talked about it, the whole line is just not good enough. Just yeah. isn't. Yeah. And it should be. That's the problem. It's like there's there, everything's in place. There's bodies. There's talent. There's experience. There's continuity. There's everything that you would want. And if they don't perform well, then there's something, something major that needs to be changed. Um, did you, I, so I wanted to, last thing, we'll let you go. The, uh, USC Stanford, the USC Texas game going down there. Did you have Texas week one? Also? I did. We had them at yeah. Maryland. So you to see was, both these teams. I did. Yeah. And you have two teams with really young quarterbacks. Ellinger, who played really good at USC last year, he did not play well in week one. He is a, very emotional he's 
I don't think he's very similar to JT Daniels. He's a very emotional guy who will run. He's not that accurate, but they kind of feed off his energy. One similar thing is both these teams look better than they play sometimes. Texas has really big athletic receivers, bigger than what USC has. Colin Johnson, if you look at him, you're like, he's a wow guy. He's 6'6", 220. He's a kid from the Bay Area. Um, and he can be great, but sometimes he doesn't He doesn't look like he's wants to be great, you know, and that's the question. I don't think U.S. – like I think USC may have three better running backs than what Texas has right now. Texas' offensive line isn't great. It may, be a little, may play a little better than than uh than usc's i don't think there's great players on texas may have a couple of guys who i think would definitely start at usc they have a cornerback uh uh 13 who's a really really good player and then they have a couple of guys on the d line but they're they're kind of similar they have a big cornerback who was hyped who's come on after a shaky start which is sounds like a lot like Amon Marshall. They have a, a real effort guy with long hair who pressures the quarterback. <laughs> and that's Brecken Hager compared to Porter Gustin. Uh, Gary Johnson runs a lot better than than Cam Smith, no matter how much weight Cam Smith's lost. But there's there's some similarities there. I don't know if there's a guy who maybe the Texas cornerback's a first round pick, but there's a lot of similarities there. And just beyond just, well, the quarterbacks are a little different. It's just this is a home game for them. Yeah, They have not looked good the first two weeks. There's a lot of pressure on Tarm Herman because the week after our crew has uh, Texas hosting TCU. Now, TCU is going to play Ohio State. That's obviously going to be a, a big challenge for them. But if if Texas loses this game, they're kind of staring at a one and three, and they haven't even seen Oklahoma yet. Wow. So wow. you want to, you know, for as much as people here feel this like is this is a most win, must win for – yeah, for Clay Helton, uh, you have a guy who's in his second year, but there's already a lot of heat on Tom Herman. Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be crazy. No, uh, I don't think any sacks for the Texas front four as of now. So uh, maybe I don't know the it's not the immovable object versus the impenetrable force quite thing going on. But I don't know. Maybe the USA offensive line will have a better chance in this one. Yeah, they had a funky kind of opening because of what all the jet sweep and all the horizontal stuff that Maryland does. So they were kind of on their heels for that. They did not respond great to it. I didn't see what they, you know, how they played against Tulsa. But when you look at them, you'll say, okay, they got guys up front who look like USC would have recruited them. Okay. But who knows? I mean, again, this is a team that has kind of underachieved so far, too. Bruce Feldman. Follow him on Twitter at Bruce Feldman CFB123. What is no, it? Oh, come on. I'm losing followers when you do that. <laughs> Bruce just, Feldman CFB. Yeah, CFB. Because it used to be, he used to have four letters in his Twitter yeah. handle. Then there was the free Bruce. Yeah. Were you the free Bruce originator? We've never found out I for don't sure. Know. I was one of them. You something. were in there. I, we tried to. Yeah. I tried to trace it back like years later. I was curious, and I thought it might have been Lisa Horn. She might have been part of it too. Yeah, yeah. there was a lot. It's it was a weird, back. weird, like kind of USC people though. Kind of like between you and Lisa, they Horn. had your back. They, they, no, I, I definitely appreciate that. I appreciate <laughs> that was that. a crazy kind of thing. And you know, and I, I've done my second podcast today, and I haven't mentioned. I mean, one of those days you're never going to forget in your life is September 11th. I mean, it's today. Like, I feel like 
yeah. terrible person that I haven't even mentioned it on either one of the shows. And I, you know, I had a crazy day because I had a flight that day and I was out of town. But you were in New York. I City. I was in New York City. Yeah, we had a crazy day. I remember going to the gym at seven something in the morning, and you know, like the the gym radio had they talked about like a small plane crash, or that's what I thought it was—a small plane crash. Yeah on a building i didn't take it that seriously just because i thought it was something that was like there was no casualties or anything like that and i got into our office and one of our interns had his feet up on the desk and was looking at at the today show and we i thought i was watching a replay and they showed the other plane you know the other tower getting hit and it was really a crazy story just in that um i don't know if i've ever told this story but the uh the first we, myself and that intern who was from Pennsylvania, he's now still works at ESPN, uh, were going to interview someone who had served a year and a day uh, in a federal prison for the first World Trade Center attack that happened like eight years earlier. So it was the coincidence of all coincidences. Whoa. That's yeah, crazy. That was pretty eerie. So we were like 94, right? Yeah, there was, was, I think it was a van that was driven into the base of the, and it was, uh, we were getting, uh, we were, we were taking our, going to national run a car to make this drive into the middle of Pennsylvania. And then, you know, all heck broke loose. And so we get evacuated. The ESPN magazine offices were 19 East 34th street. They were diagonal from the, from the empire state building. And at one point, I mean, you guys are on the West coast, so maybe it was, you know, it's, way earlier in the day, but they were talking about how there was going to be all, all these planes were still up in the air. And so it sounded like it was a very coordinated attack. And I think you're thinking absolute worst because you've already seen this horrific catastrophe. And we're at the Empire State Building. You're thinking, okay, the World Trade Center is definitely a landmark. Well, the, you know, that's what that's right across the street from where we are. So they evacuate us. Oh, before this happened, this is something like when you're in an office, I don't know how you felt about this, but when you're a little kid and you have these fire drills or bomb drills or whatever, you always know who's in charge. It's some teacher or principal. When yeah. that happened for us, we're in this building and the people who are who you thought were in charge because they were the people in charge of ESPN Magazine, they are not in charge of like, they didn't know anything about that. So nobody knows what we're supposed to yeah. do. No, you know, we're in a building because there's, you never prepared for that. No. And so eventually uh, there was a woman in our office who was like in charge of finance. She talked to somebody at Disney because ESPN was owned by, is owned by Disney and they evacuated us to another ESPN office, which was like over on Park Avenue. But that place was closer to uh, to the UN. So I'm thinking, well, that's probably a target. We had a, a coworker who we're all friends with who lived in Battery Park City. Nobody could get a hold of her because all the cell phones were all jammed. And, you know, about two hours later, we all ended up walking all over because uh, people were kind of stranded there because they couldn't get on trains or anything. If you didn't live in New York City, I mean, I did. So you ended up walking from hospital to hospital to see if you could donate blood. And there's like one specific kind of blood uh, that you probably know what type it is. Yeah, that's it's rare. like so o, O's are universal donors. Yeah. So like yeah. when I give on the O positive, I think. So that's, yeah, they want probably, they want an yeah. O because you could give it to anybody or whatever. Yeah, yeah, all the rest of us were like useless to them. So we'd wait in line. There'd be <laughs> hundreds of people and you go to the next hospital and they were like, no. And then, you know, by, I don't know, by four o'clock in the afternoon, you kind of like, okay, then you just everybody ended up in like bars just kind of like in shell shock because you didn't people were stranded they didn't know like they couldn't get back to where they were going where they came from and it was really surreal for the next i don't know few weeks what what i'm trying to remember where see it's funny when we're in a room with like keely who was how old i was i was in first grade 
Okay, yeah. So do your parents not let you know anything of what's going on? My babysitter told me. And I didn't, I really didn't really know. I thought that a plane had landed on top of a building. I didn't really get what was happening. But like for you guys, there's a pre and a post 9-11. For me, that's just the world I grew up in, post 9-11. So it's it's interesting hearing your thoughts about it. Yeah, we had a guy in our office, Kieran Darcy. I don't know if he still works at ESPN. He was relatively new. He'd been a basketball player at, I want to say Princeton or some Ivy League school. And he'd been in our office for like two months. And his dad worked in the World Trade Center. And... It, it was tragic for him. And I had a good friend whose dad worked in the World Trade Center and he happened to be off that day. And then you, it what was the hardest part was like I would, you know, I grew up not that far from New York City. And I remember like my brother called and a guy he grew up with worked for one of the firms there. And it was a guy, I, I mean, I don't say I grew up with him because I'm six years younger, but I knew him really well when I was a little kid. And so you start, you know, it would be like, hey, remember so and so. And it would like, you'd get like three or four of these calls. And you just be kind of reeling from people who who perished in that. Yeah, my dad worked at the time at the uh, at Logan Airport, where a couple of the planes, uh, and he was working that morning, or they originated and stuff. And he said, I mean, he told me then it's like FBI, like they were scrambled, like they knew something was going on, but not enough to to stop it or whatever. But there, it wasn't like it was completely. There was something that was going on. He said that morning it was crazy and. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's insane, but yeah, but for someone like you, Keely, where that's your only, like, it definitely changed our lives. Like, it used to be, I, I was an engineer at the time. I could go to the airport, fly to San Jose. I could get there for Southwest, like, 15 minutes before the flight was going to go. Like, everything, obviously, everything's changed since then, but you that's the only world you've known. Yep, yeah. it's crazy. I remember getting on, I don't think I got on a plane for maybe another month. It might have been for, like, the Texas OU game, and you'd look around at who was on the plane with you and everything, yeah. and... um just it was like Marshalls or yeah yeah it was just kind of just such a different time like we had we had so many fake bomb threats that were I guess they were real yeah they're fake bomb threats were called into like our building because it was near it was near the the uh the Empire State Building so you'd always have to evacuate and I never like I hated going on the subway in the first place but I just thought that was the worst place because it just seemed like it was so accessible. Somebody could walk in there and do a ton of damage yeah. that I never wanted to get in there. You know, you like uh, Disney had this crisis counselor come in to kind of speak to us because we had to work. We worked that week and we I felt like there were a lot of people who weren't working in New York City that week. But we went in on the Friday because I think, you know, it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, I remember listening to some of my coworkers, some of their a lot of them had kids then, you know, had families already. And they would just talk about going at different times. They didn't want to go through Penn station at rush hour. Oh, Cause yeah. you were just trying to minimize your, your risk and minimize your exposure to any. Kind yeah, of, yeah. 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 As a, so I worked in a building in El Segundo. Uh, that's the tallest building near the airport. And the, you know, we were a high up and so you're worried like, Oh, we're in like the tallest building around. This is crazy. And you, we would overlook the runways at LAX. And so, if you just peeked out the window, you would see planes landing and, you know, every minute, like every day. And then for four or five days or whatever it was a week, nothing, you know, like one plane a day, maybe they, and it would be like this big deal when a plane would come in. Um, it was just, it changed everything. You know, I, I had a rental car for like four or five days cause I was up in the Bay area. I had a flight that day and it, you know, obviously it was canceled. I had to drive the car back down, but a lot of people, if you didn't have a car already, you couldn't get one because it just, everything shut down. And I, my car was at Park One in LAX, and I couldn't get to it for like four or five days. They wouldn't let you through. And the only thing I could compare it to, I put it on my Facebook thing today, 
when I got my car, it was still Sepulveda was shut down, like driving right through. And like normally it's just packed, you know, cars everywhere, nothing. I got dropped off at like in and out, walked to park one and got my car. And I'm the only car driving out of there. And it was like the most surreal thing. And the only thing I could compare it to was back in the riots for LA, like in 92, when they had curfews and like the freeways and everything were just shut down. And you would just look outside at USC and be like, how are there no people anywhere? And, uh, but it was crazy. But I, yeah, I knew you were in New York and I was like, well, we haven't, yeah, I didn't really I, plan to go another 15 minutes. Sorry. Yeah. No, 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 yeah. it's not. I, I have a good I feel friend. Bad we didn't mention it before. I, yeah, I have a good friend. He worked on Monday night football and the, I want to say the giants played the Broncos. And so that was obviously Monday night. And the next day they were all stranded and he was like, how am I going to get home? And it's in Denver. And he looked at the guy next to him. And I might like when I hear this, think this story, I always think it's like the guy next to him was John Candy or something. He was like, <laughs> the guy's like, I'm renting a car. You want to ride with me? And he rides with this complete stranger literally across the country. <laughs> wow. Uh, so everybody who was in New York had some weird story. Yeah. It seemed like you all knew somebody. I mean, you, yeah. how could you not? Like, you yeah. knew. It was, uh, I mean, for a long time, it didn't feel like it was, it happened that long ago. And now, now that I live out here, and just so much has happened since then. You're kind of like, okay, it does seem like a long time ago. Yeah. I remember like the 10 year thing. I was like, holy crap. 10, it's like 17 years now. It's like insane. Yeah. When you start looking at rosters, like USC puts a, uh, yeah. a date of births on, on there. I'm like, man, you start seeing guys. Yeah. Like, These kids probably don't even weren't, it weren't, they may have been alive, but they have no, you know, they were too young to even know what was going on on TV. Yeah. All right. Well, Bruce Feldman, I've tried to wrap it up before, but I'm, I'm sorry I mentioned that late, but I'm glad. I love that you could tell the stories. A day none of us should forget. So as Americans, uh, well, that's Keely York, Bruce Feldman. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning in to the Peristyle podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.